losing everybody cause they're back again Don't take no mess out the rose garden Jesus, they're on fire They're what we desire The men in black can handle it Other teams can scrapple it How they win that game today There's just one thing you can say How does Scotty shoot that three? Believe it, it ain't easy How did Brian jump so sweet? Believe it, it ain't easy It's the flying dot that's in your lap Welcome back to the Rose Garden Report podcast. I'm Sean Hyken, the author of the Rose Garden Report newsletter, which you can subscribe to at rosegardenreport.com. Free and paid subscriptions are available. I would suggest getting a paid subscription with draft night coming up in eight days. We're recording this on Wednesday, June 14th. The podcast you can subscribe to on any platform you get podcasts, Apple, Spotify, YouTube. Make sure you go subscribe on YouTube. Uh, we're a part of the Odyssey family, so you can get it on the Odyssey app as well. I am doing more, you know, this is, it's been a lot of draft stuff the last couple of weeks. We had Ricky O'Donnell on, we had Brian Schroeder on. This one is a little bit of a different thing. Obviously, the rumor this week has been that the New Orleans Pelicans are interested in trading up to either two or three to get Scoot Henderson. And that obviously affects Portland because the Blazers have the number three overall pick and there's been a lot of speculation that they're interested in possibly trading that pick for the kind of impact talent that you would want to put around Damian Lillard. And so with that kind of being the dominant rumor this week as things kind of pick up ahead of the draft, I brought on a return guest, my guy Christian Clark, who covers the New Orleans Pelicans very well for the times picayune and the advocate at nola.com you know the paper down in new orleans does a great job i've known him for a long time and we just kind of talked through it we talked through you know all the different permutations of you know would new orleans actually give up zion williamson in a trade for the number three pick if scoot is there uh the you know some of the health risks with zion you know we talk about like the idea of brandon ingram just kind of where the pelicans are at with you know what they're looking to do and you know what he thinks about the possibility of them trading with at char at, at number two with charlotte like th- we we get into all of that and then the other thing also just briefly at the end because you know christian and i first got to know each other when he was covering the nuggets and so with the nuggets winning the first title in franchise history a couple days ago we get into that and kind of some of his thoughts and his perspective as somebody who was close to it it's a pretty good discussion that i think you guys are going to enjoy so let's get into it Christian, thanks for doing this with me. I just, I just, for just no reason in particular, I just thought it would be fun to catch up with you. I don't think there's really anything going on with, with the Pelicans or any, or or with either of these teams as of right now. Yeah, there, you know, there's definitely not noise out there that the Pelicans, (laughs) you know, could trade one of the most hyped guys, I guess, going, you know, coming into the NBA of like the last 25 years, you know, supernova talent who just cannot seem to stay in the court there's there's none of that swirling around no uh where, where does this season rank for you like it, it's always it's always been something with the pelicans whether it's were you on the beat when the anthony davis stuff was happening or so that was that was before my time i started this job in 2019 the outlet i worked for noel.com and the times picayune created my position after the team got Zion. 
Um, from my understanding, they weren't even going to have a full-time Pelicans beat writer. And after the team got Zion, they were like, okay, we got to have somebody on this because this guy is, you know, a really big deal. So I, I came here to be, you know, like a big part of my job was like, Hey, look, you're going to report on the happenings of Zion. And I'm not the only one either. Like you, you and know, ESPN, Lopez, yeah. yeah, ESPN created position, you know, the athletic has, you know, a really good beat guy here too. So there's, there's kind of three of us covering this team waiting for Zion to play basketball. And then, you know, there's all those, there's always other stuff. Like they hired David Griffin around that time. They have five. How, how many coaches have you had now? Willie Green is uh, my third one. There was three in my first four years on the beat. Alvin Gentry, uh, him and Griff, you know, started butting heads within months of working for each other. Everyone knew they were going to let go of Alvin. Stan Van Gundy's ill-fated eight-month stint in charge. And then Willie Green for the past two years. So I guess we'll start here. How badly do they really want Scoot? Because you, like, you and I, I mean, you and I talk all the time, but, like, we had kind of both heard, I had heard a few weeks ago that, like, New Orleans was one of the teams that was interested in moving up for Scoot. But, you know, you hear stuff all the time. You don't know whether, like, oh, you know, Portland is putting this out there or Charlotte is putting this out there to be like, hey, look, this team is interested in moving up for this pick in the same way that, like, when a player opts out of their contract, their agent is going to put out through one of the newsbreakers. Like sources say like these seven teams are interested in this, in this player. And maybe not all of them are actually interested in the player. So you kind of hear that, you know, all these different teams are interested in moving up to draft scoot. And so they might be interested in the second pick or the third pick, but you don't know how much of it is real. But then, you know, yet a couple days ago when the Shams report came out, usually when Woj or Shams puts something like that out, it is, real so how how bad how desperate are the pelicans to get scoot so i heard towards the end of may which is more than two weeks ago hey there are some people high-ranking people in the pelican organization who love scoot henderson as a prospect i mean i got some strong indications that they absolutely love this kid huge believers in his talent as a lead guard but also mentality and i think that's part of the reason why he is attractive for the Pelicans. They have, you know, one amazing talent in Zion Williamson, one very good talent in, in Brandon Ingram. But I think the questions are about those guys' mentality. I mean, Zion, the diet, the conditioning, the rehab, three times in four years, it's taken him much longer to recover from an injury than it probably should have. And then Brandon Ingram, I think, you know, pretty focused on basketball, but he just doesn't play that much. And I think there have been some questions within the organization of, does he always fight through minor discomfort? So I, I think, you know, they've got a surplus of first round picks, seven in the next five years, still someone's coming in from the Lakers and Bucks. Got some interesting young players. And then, you know, you got those two all-stars if you really want to make it interesting. Um, so they got a lot of different ways you could try to get something done. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's some huge fans of, of Scoot in the front office. Well, I can tell you this from Portland's end. I don't think a package of like a bunch of these future picks or some young players like Herb Jones or Trey Murphy or something like that. I don't think that's something that they would be interested in doing. My understanding is they're only trading the third pick if they get back a guy. And there's a very short list of guys that they 
I think would have qualified. You know, we t- we've talked incessantly on here about like Mikael Bridges as somebody that they've looked at pretty strongly. You know, we've talked if Boston decides not to pay Jalen Brown, like th- that's the level of guy that I think they're looking at. And I think one of those two guys that you just mentioned, Zion and Brandon Ingram, I think one would be a little bit more interesting to them than the other. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, they want a guy who can help them win immediately, right? I mean, yes, that's the, many... I, I mean, that's the idea. Dame has made it clear he does not want to leave, but he also wants a chance to compete. And I think, you know, I, this is just so. So the way, just just to kind of give you a little bit of you know perspective on you know what where I think the front office for the Blazers is coming from. And I haven't I haven't checked specifically on this New Orleans stuff since the report came out, so this is not me saying what anybody in the organization has told me because I haven't like in the last two days I haven't like gotten from you know the organization. Oh, we're interested in Zion, but not like this is not I have not gotten this from anybody. But I just knowing what I know, and this is actually going back to something that affects the Pelicans also, or that did affect the Pelicans when it happened, but just to kind of illustrate the way that this front office operates and the kind of moves that they make and don't make. Um, last year at the draft, when they had the number seven overall pick, the two guys that they were like deciding between, that they was basically down to the final two guys that were available at that pick that they were thinking about. One of them was Shaden Sharp, who they ended up taking. The other one was Dyson Daniels, who New Orleans took one pick later at number eight. And... The argument for Dyson Daniels was he's plug and play. You can put him in right away and he'll be a rotation player and he's ready to contribute right away. The argument for Shaden Sharp was he's going to take a little bit longer to be ready, but if he hits, he can be an all-star. And they went for the upside. So I feel like for a big move like this, you know, you're talking about either keeping the number three pick, which has, you know, potentially a generational prospect and Scoot Henderson being available or you're trading that pick. And if you're trading that pick, you better get something big back. I think, like, you know, Brandon Ingram is a good player, but I don't think Brandon Ingram is changing your world. Brandon Ingram isn't making you a title contender. Whereas Zion Williamson, like, it's a massive risk with the injury stuff and the health stuff and the weight stuff and whatever else. But if somehow he can stay healthy, Every time he's been healthy, he's been basically a top five player in the league. And, you know, him and Dame together could be pretty dangerous. And I think just knowing what I know about the front office's philosophy, I think that swing is more something they would be interested in taking than, you know, more of a safe, you know, route in Brandon Ingram, if you will. If the NBA season had ended on January 2nd, I think there's a chance that Zion finishes top five in MVP, MVP voting. I mean, uh-huh. the Pelicans were, I believe second or third in the Western conference at this time. And in their first game of 2023, Zion goes down with the hamstring injury. I mean, I just, I cannot stress enough how freaking good he was in the month of December. Like the Pelicans don't have a, an illustrious franchise history or anything, but I would say the month of December was like one of the best overall months they've ever had as a franchise. And it was Zion, you know, doing it on both ends, like kind of like controlling the offense, and and defensively like wreaking havoc in a way that we hadn't seen at Duke. If I was another team, I would I would bet on like the Zion risk. Like I would be trying hard to get Zion just because it, it's just been a weird fit for him in New Orleans. I mean, I, I don't know that he was 
ready to leave college and be a pro. He said that a couple times, like he's, he's, you know, he's not one of these guys like, uh, you know, like Tatum came in at 19 years old and it was like, okay, I've got a pro mentality. Like Zion did not come in with that. He kind of came in with more of a kid's mentality and that's okay because he was a kid. You know, I think he's got a lot of great qualities. Like I think he's got great in-game competitiveness. Um, I mean, like, He's just so freaking talented. I, I like a lot of things about him, but it just has not worked out in New Orleans. There's been a lot of tension with the medical staff. The Pelicans just moved on this summer from the guy who was in charge of their medical staff. Um, but if I was another team, I would I would be comfortable taking a chance on Zion because he is just that good. And if he gives you 65-plus games or whatever, if he has the Joel Embiid career trajectory of well, he didn't play that much in the first four years, but he's given me 60 games every year. Like, yeah, you're making the playoffs every year. And he really does give you a chance to go deep in the playoffs and, and go to the finals. Where is he at right now? Health wise. If he, if the season he had the hamstring injury that you mentioned, he didn't play after that. If, if this, if training camp start from what you know, and obviously you're not around him every day, talking to him every day anymore, because it's not in the season. But from what you know and from people that you've talked to, if this if training camp started today, would he be able to do everything and be a full go? So I saw actually saw him on Friday, and it's kind of funny the reason why. Uh, Zion had a very interesting week last week. <laughs> Just a little bit, yeah. Google the New York Post articles if you want to read about it. Um, but on Friday, uh, you know, him and his people said, hey, look, we're going to hold this event at a middle school in Jefferson Parish. Uh, parishes are, you know, counties here. Um, and Zion gave away, you know, a quarter of a million dollars to a school district here. And he took photos with like 80 middle school kids. Um, and he looked really good. He looked like pretty, you know, he looked pretty skinny. Everything I've heard is he's completely recovered from the hamstring thing. Um, I think he thinks he could have played at the end of the season. And the Pelicans, you know, from my understanding, weren't going to let him play just because um, I don't think there was like great diligence from him in the rehab process, um, which has kind of been a theme from, from Zion in new Orleans. He's constantly wanting to play and said, and the Pelicans are saying, yeah, but, but you're not ready. Like you're not in the shape we want you to be in. You like didn't really work hard during the rehab process. Um, but I, I mean, I think he could go if, if they had to play a game tomorrow. That's another thing I wanted to bring up here because you say it's, been a theme with him that he hasn't really worked that hard in the rehab process uh i i just that that would be i mean the biggest thing is physically you know the health stuff like is his body you know can it hold up but i would you know if i were a team thinking about trading for him that's honestly that's something i would be concerned about also you know the talent is what the talent is and he's one of the most talented players the league has seen probably in the last decade but what what is it do you think it's just is it a maturity thing does he just like not really you know want to work that hard in the rehab stuff like do you think that's the kind of thing that would change with a change of scenery like what like what do you think is behind you know the guy better than i do what do you think is behind that I think a lot of it is it's just been so easy for him at every different stage. I mean, he obviously, you know, he went to a tiny private school in South Carolina where he was not playing against elite competition and dominated there, but he goes from there to Duke. And you have to remember, he was not looked at as even the number one guy in that Duke team going into the season. RJ Barrett was 
I mean, clearly the best player in the Duke team, clearly the best player in college basketball, had literally one of the best college basketball seasons of all time. Um, and he comes in the NBA, and he's immediately out of shape. Like his first summer league, he's out of shape. Um, but he's just so good that it doesn't matter. Like he's he's played a lot of these games out of shape and like not doing the right things in terms of like sleeping, dieting, game day prep, and he's still killing people. So I think it's like uh, a gift and a curse that the game is just so easy for him and he's so physically gifted. Like I just think I think failing a couple times is actually going to be good for him and make him, you know, maybe learn some lessons. And then the other thing is I would say too is. A couple of people, Pelicans people have voiced this to me repeatedly. He just, he has not been able to get great people around him. I mean, that's a huge concern of just like his inner circle. I mean, does he have anyone who's willing to tell him the truth? This kind of gets into some thorny stuff. Um, but he has not had great people around him. The Pelicans have tried to put, you know, some good vets around him, CJ McCollum, one of them. But he just, it seemed like he just hasn't really listened. Um, and so I think that's got to change. You know, I think wherever he goes next, like that team is going to be able to say, hey, man, whatever you were doing in the first four years, you know, assuming he goes somewhere else, and I, I'm not sure what's going to happen, but they're going to be able to say, like, whatever you're doing in the first four years was not working. Like, your your stepfather is, like, not going to have a huge voice here because, like, it just has gone so poorly. Like, it's going to be us making the decision and you making the decision. And, you know, like, we'll we'll – loop in your CAA agent, who's a very good agent. Oh, I don't think they listen to very much, but like, yeah, it's not going to be your stepfather having a huge voice here. Cause I think one of the problems, and this is from afar, you would obviously know this better than I would, but one of the, I think the problems in new Orleans with the whole situation is that, you know, they got him the same summer that they traded Anthony Davis. And so immediately Zion was, the face of the franchise and he's the guy which obviously he would be because he's the most one at the time the most talented prospect to come into the league since lebron that's about to change in the next month when victor Wembanyama gets drafted but at the time he was seen as that guy he comes to portland there is already somebody who whose franchise it is as far as players on the team and guys who really decide how all this stuff is run and you know i I think Dame is not going to really just knowing what I know about like some of the guys that have come in here. Like I remember like obviously not nearly as talented of a player not nearly like as high impact of a guy, but when Yusuf Nurkic, who I believe you were you covering Denver when Nurk was there? I I did overlap with Nurk a little bit. Yep. The first season I was there, Nurkic and Jokic started like the first 15 games of the season together, Balkan buddy ball. Right. But so, Nurkic comes over from Denver in that trade, and I think this was, was it like 2017, 2018, something like that? And, you know, the the thing around Nurkic was, you know, he's out of shape, he doesn't work hard, he has this attitude problem, whatever. And now maybe some of that has come up again since then, and, and a lot of that is because Nurk had the pretty serious leg injury and hasn't really been the same player since then, but... Dame got the best basketball out of him that anybody's ever gotten because he really was willing to, you know, pour into him and say, like, okay, this is what this guy needs to succeed. I'm going to stay on this guy every day and make sure, like, he's, you know, he's doing what he needs to do. And, you know, there are other guys that have come through over the past however many years. Maurice Harkless was one. Even, like, he, he got, like, kind of a decent year out of Hassan Whiteside, the year that Hassan Whiteside was here. 
I kind of feel like for Zion, the best guy that he could have around him is Dame because Dame is going to be, you know, no matter who is the most talented player. It's, it's kind of like how, you know, this is kind of a crazy thing to kind of compare it to, but like, you know, LeBron goes to Miami. It's still Dwayne Wade's team because Dwayne Wade has been there from day one and he's the one that's like, it, you know, the culture is like set around him and stuff. That's kind of what the situation would be in, in Portland if Zion comes here. Who's the more talented player? Who's the better player? Clearly Zion, but, you know, Dame is the one that dictates how things go and Dame does not really have a lot of tolerance for guys not working. Like, he's not, he's not, he's not a guy like Jimmy Butler or, you know, Kobe who's going to be like cursing guys out, but he will make it known if he's not happy if somebody is not working as hard as they could. Yeah, I mean, I, I think when you, like, make a list of guys who would be good for Zion, I mean, Dame is you know, near the top or maybe at the top of that list. I mean, to me, like that pairing just makes sense from a, a basketball perspective. Right. One, I mean, like a Dame Zion pick and roll. Good luck. <laughs> I mean, good luck stopping that. And and you could invert it too, you know, like Zion is a really good ball handler. Have Dame set the screen for him like pop. I mean, I, I love that basketball fit first of all, but yeah, I mean, Dame, you know, seems like the type of leader who could, who could maybe reach him. Um, and for the light bulb to go off for Zion, like it honestly just might take getting traded. I mean, like a lot of us, you know, probably myself included, like you only learn when you like actually fail and there's like a life event, you know, like it just, it just might be that for him. Like it might not go off until he's on another team. I know that's a case for a lot of these guys. Um, like me personally, I don't know that. I would move him just because there's five years left in the deal and it's hard to get elite talent here in New Orleans and he's so good. I mean, I just think about it like this. I mean, you've dealt with a lot. Like they've dealt with a lot of BS, but as long as there's professional basketball in New Orleans, like there might, there probably won't be another player with as much natural talent as Zion Williamson here. So I would be a little weary about giving him up with so much time left on the deal. Yeah, and I think that's part of the risk slash reward for Portland, where you know Brandon Ingram, who I don't, I don't think they would be that interested. I don't know this, but I just just knowing what I know of again, what types of guys they look at and who what they don't, I don't think Ingram would be of interest to them for a lot of reasons. But a guy who only has two years left on his deal, and then you got to max him with Zion. There's a risk that maybe, you know, the health stuff and the conditioning stuff never comes together and never gets back on track, and then that contract becomes kind of an albatross. But the upside is if he comes here and does get back in shape and stays healthy, you've got him for five years. You don't have to worry about trading the number three pick for him, and then he's going to leave in two years. Right. That's that's a huge part of this equation to me. Brandon Ingram has two years left in his deal Zion Williamson has five years left in his deal. And, you know, no they're both, outs, right? Yeah, they're both on the, the 25% max right now. Like when Ingram is up for his new deal, like you are really going to have to back up the Brinks truck for him. And I, I think, you know, in this new environment in the CBA, if you're maxing a guy, and especially if it's more than the 25% max, like that guy better be really, really good. Mm-hmm. I mean, he better be really good. Like I would want to avoid situations like Bradley Beal and things like that with, you know, how punitive things are going to be when you reach that second apron. I mean, like the 30% max, the 35% max, if that guy's not like elite, I would be, I would be nervous. 
Yeah, that I mean, that's a situation that a lot of teams are running in. Like Boston, for example. Like, Jason Tatum is clearly worth that. Is Jalen Brown worth that? Probably not, but they're going to have to pay him or else they have to trade him. And I kind of put Brandon Ingram in that same boat where you got to pay him that because that's what the market is, but you don't feel great about paying him that. Yeah, and Jalen Brown is a lot more accomplished than Brandon Ingram. I mean, Brandon Ingram has been in the NBA, I think, for seven years. And, like, this isn't his fault. I mean, it's been largely result of like circumstance but like he's never been on a team that's won more than 42 games this was the first time in his career this last year the pelicans went 42 and 40 he's been on a team that's finished with the winning record like he hasn't i don't think he's like proven that he can drive winning at a high level yet and his health history i mean it's not you don't think about it as much as you think about zion because the whole thing because you you know you look at zion and you look at his body type and you see the kind of injuries that he has and you that's what you think about, but Brandon Ingram hasn't exactly been durable either throughout his career. I mean, that's been the problem with the last two years, yeah. I mean, this year, you know, Zion got hurt on January 2nd. Pelicans, I believe, were in second place in the Western Conference. You know, it was kind of like, all right, I got hurt. I'm passing the baton. Y'all are in a good place. And the Pelicans, you know, fumbled that transition. They ran a really bad race. Um, you know, finished the season in ninth place. They they sunk down the standings. And Brandon Ingram missed 29 straight games with an injury the team described as a left toe contusion. And, you know, I mean, I'm, I don't know exactly what Ingram's perspective is on what he was dealing with, but that's what the Pelicans described the injury as, a left toe contusion. He missed two straight months with that injury. You know, there's a lot of people believing he could have played during that time. So... Yeah, I don't know that like people were thrilled with Ingram coming off this season. What do you know about talks that New Orleans has had with Charlotte? Because that's the other variable here is, you know, Portland can trade the pick, but they're going to get different offers if Scoot is there versus if, you know, it's Brandon Miller that teams are trading up for. I do know that there are a couple of teams that have Miller higher on their board than Scoot and that that's who they would be interested in moving up for. But you're going to get offers from different teams. Like if if Miller or if Scoot rather goes second to Charlotte or Charlotte trades the pick somewhere else and that team takes Scoot, then all of this is off the table because I don't think New Orleans is interested in moving up for Brandon Miller. They're interested in moving up for Scoot. But so what do you know about, you know, what they've talked about with Charlotte, like does like who did like is Charlotte interested in like a Ingram or a Zion or would they trade the pick for like picks or young players or like what, like what what would what do you what would you put the chances at that New Orleans and Charlotte are able to get something done for number two? Yeah, I mean, I don't get the sense that they've gotten like far into negotiations. I think it's kind of you know, been pretty early in the process. You know, when I look at, like, first of all, I think the most likely outcome is that Ingram and Zion are just both back next year. I, I think that, you know, it's hard Usually to make the trades. the most likely outcome is any tr- rumored trade doesn't happen because it's hard to make trades. Yeah, so I, I would start there. Um, and then I think I would say that, I think it's just more likely, you know, they, they make a deal with Charlotte than Portland for, uh, you know, a couple reasons. Number one, I mean, you just guarantee that you get Scoot. You don't have to, like, you know, you don't have to do the intel of, like, well, are we sure Charlotte's going to take Brandon Miller and do this and that? And the other thing, too, is when I look at the contract situations for each team, uh-huh. Charlotte has Gordon Hayward at, you know, above $30 million on an expiring deal. Like, 
it's just really easy to make the money work with that. Like Gordon Hayward and number two and boom, you know, and Gordon Hayward's off the books after this next year. When I look at Portland, I mean, they've got Simons, but if you're trying to get Scoot, you've already got Scoot and CJ. You'd have to to reroute him to a third team. The good news is that you'd be able to reroute him to a third team because he's on a really good contract. He just fit-wise doesn't make a lot of sense in New Orleans. But then it's like, Nurkic would have to be the other money, and then what? You know, does that mean you 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 move Jonas to a third team, or do you even view Nurkic as an upgrade to Jonas? Maybe it's like a three-team deal where the Simons Nurkic money all goes to a third team. Like it gets more complicated to do it that way. But I also feel like Charlotte's front office is a lot more risk averse than Portland's front office, and they might just ultimately say, you know. Zion Williamson is too big of a risk for us. We're just going to keep the pick and keep and take Brandon Miller. Yeah. And you know, I, when I checked in with some Pelicans people, I don't know, probably a week ago, you know, just specifically about Charlotte, they're like, it's just, it's just kind of weird right now because, you know, MJ is trying to get out basically. Um, and you know, there's kind of uncertain uncertainty of like, well, real, who really has the juice right now and who is really calling the shots. Um, so I think that makes the situation a little bit weird. I mean, Zion's from South Carolina and, uh, Brandon Ingram's from North Carolina. So they're both kind of like Carolina boys. There's that connection. You know, Zion is obviously a Jordan brand athlete and like as a Jordan Stan, I think that's like an interesting angle to this whole thing. Um, but yeah, I don't know what Charlotte wants to do. The other thing connection with one of those guys is that Mitch Kupchak drafted Brandon Ingram at number two when he was the GM of the Lakers and I don't know you know what their relationship is like but I'm sure they have one I'm sure you know Mitch Kupchak at one point liked him enough to draft him number two I'm sure he still likes him yeah I I think that's really interesting and let, let me ask you this I mean let's just say the the Pelicans say science too talented we want we don't want to do it but we will put Ingram on the table is it is your sense that like a, an Ingram centric deal gets it done for number three? No, I don't think they view that as enough of a needle mover. I think, th- especially if Scoot is there at three, I think they feel like they could get better offers than that. I think, like they've been putting it out, and this could just be them putting it out because this is just every you know every every GM wants to you know increase the leverage that they have. But they've been going through the process with this draft stuff. They they brought Scoot in for a workout a week or two ago. They've brought in the twins, uh, Ahmed and Asar Thompson from Overtime Elite. They are doing workouts the next three days, including today. They haven't said who they're bringing in yet because they don't say until day of I would you know I would be shocked if Brandon Miller isn't one of the ones that gets brought in but they're going through the process and they're putting it out there to teams like I mean I think they would like to trade the pick for an upgrade because that's what Dame wants but if you go back to last year they had the number seven pick and I realized trading the number seven pick is a different ask than trading the third pick but they had pretty serious talks with Toronto about OG Ananobi while they were on the clock at seven. And they ultimately decided that the, the upside of trading that pick for OG Ananobi wasn't as high as the upside of keeping that pick and taking Shaden Sharp. So they weren't going to just eat last year. They weren't going to trade the seventh pick just to trade the seventh pick for a win now guy, because that's what Dame wanted. So I don't know. I don't think they're going to trade the third pick in a better draft just to trade the third pick. So 
they're kind of putting it out there that you guys better step your offers up if you want this pick because we're totally comfortable just keeping the pick and taking the best player available and just, you know, hoping that Dame comes around to that. So that that's what they're putting out there to teams. And so I think if Scoot is there, they will probably get better offers than Brandon Ingram. But I think Zion would be something that would get their attention pretty strongly. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, could you see them just taking Scoot? Sure they could. I mean, I think that's the most talented. I, I, obviously, that opens up a whole bunch of other questions. I don't think Dane would be thrilled about that, but I also... I'm not really taking the Dame trade stuff that seriously right now because there's really nowhere for him to go. There's no team that has enough to offer that, like, like I don't th- like the two teams that he mentioned in that Showtime interview the other week, Brooklyn and Miami. Neither of those teams really have anything to trade that Portland would be interested in. So I don't think, and I don't, I don't think that this front office is gonna if Dame, if Dame, if 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 Dame were to say I want to be traded, I don't think they would just send him where he wants to go and you know, not get a good return. I think they would, you know, I think if he asked to be traded, they would trade him once they found an offer they liked, but they're not going to just say, hey, pick where you want to go and we'll just get whatever, you know, far out draft picks that could be in the 20s that we can get and just, you know, call it that. Like they would, I think they would play it more the way that Sean Marks played the KD stuff last summer where he didn't, he asked to be traded last summer. They didn't, they didn't trade him because they didn't find any offers that they liked. And then later on, once, you know, the Kyrie stuff blew up and KD went back to them and said, look, can we, you know, do this? And then they were able to get a pretty good deal from Phoenix where they got Cam Johnson and Mikel Bridges plus all those picks. Like, I don't think, I think they, you know, I, I don't think Dane would love it if they drafted Scoot, but I also, again, knowing what I know about this front office and how they prioritize upside, I think if there's not an offer that blows them away and Scoot is there and he is really as much of a generational prospect as people say that he is and they would know more than i would about uh, all that stuff because they've evaluated these guys they've scouted these guys they you know they've been watching these guys for multiple years and you know mike schmitz is in their front office now the former espn draft analyst who's watched as many of these guys as there is he was a big driver i believe in them taking shaden sharp last year because he was one of the few guys that seen him but yeah i think they would feel totally comfortable just if, especially if Scoot is there. I don't know how they value the Twins versus Brandon Miller versus, you know, whoever else they're, they could be looking at at three if Scoot is gone. But I think if Scoot is there and they don't get an offer for, like, one of these, like, Mikael Bridges or Zion or, you know, somebody like that on the table, then, yeah, I think they'd be happy just taking Scoot and trying to figure it out with Dame. Yeah, I mean, you know, you obviously know... Portland way better than me but if I if I was them like Zion would be the number one guy I'm I'm trying to add to this team because it's it makes you better right now you know it gives you a future um you know if once Dame ages a little bit I mean it just makes sense from from so many different levels it's the highest upside play for sure I would just need I would need to I would need to see all the medicals and that that's the thing that would that would give me pause about it is the medicals and you know that that that's the if that if that stuff checks out and by checks out I mean you know you don't I think the thing that would make you not do it is if it turns out that he has some like degenerative knee condition like a like what Kawhi Leonard is dealing with where it's just always going to be a thing these injuries that Zion has had I mean they're all lower body stuff but it seems like they're all pretty like it's not like he has one knee that he keeps re-injuring over and over again or he has one foot that's a problem like 
these are all unrelated stuff. It just kind of keeps happening because he's not in the kind of shape that he probably should be in. But it's not a Kawhi Leonard situation or, you know, going back to, like, Portland stuff from the past. It's not a Brandon Roy situation where you know that this knee is just always going to be a problem because, like, he doesn't have the cartilage or, you know, there is a condition there that it's just always going to be an issue. So as long as that stuff checks out and there's not something like that going on, me personally, I'm not the one running the team, but me personally, the talent is high enough and the upside is high enough that it's a risk I would take. Yeah, and, you know, as, as far as the, like, the Zion injury conversation goes, I mean, I think it's just a, it's a lot more complicated than Zion should just lose some weight. I mean, right. I think it would, you know, help if he's playing at 265. But I think he, and he needs to get some smart people around him, need to examine, like, the ways in which he is training. Like, he is naturally has so much muscle on that body. Like, to me, he should be doing, you know, flexibility stuff and, like, lengthening his muscles. And, you know, my first instinct is to get him on the Joe Johnson hot yoga plan. Like, I feel like Zion should be doing hot yoga, like, six times a week because it's like, dude, you're already the strongest player in the entire NBA. Like, when you're a rookie, you you put your shoulder into Steven Adams and moved him eight feet back. I mean, you don't need to get any stronger you need to figure out a way for your your muscles to absorb the shock when you're pushing off or you're landing and things like that and look i'm not a sports scientist or anything but that's just my two cents like there needs to be an overall look at like the ways he is training because you know running a bunch of 400s around the track like to me that's you know like it needs to be a much smarter approach than that well, one of, that's an interesting point you bring up because one of the stories, I think it was the Windhorse Jonathan Cavoni feature, was one of those big features about Victor Wembanyama that came out before the lottery where, where they talked to a bunch of people around him. And one of the ones that I read was that when he was a teenager, he was working with Holger, Dirk's shooting coach, who was with him in Dallas for a number of years. And... Uh, the you know originally the plan was for Wemby to do a whole bunch of strength training and put on a bunch of muscle and Holger was like no 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 we don't want to load up his body with muscle because then that's just going to lead to all these lower body injuries and that's going to put too much stress on it so that kind of checks out with what you're saying where a lot of these injuries that Zion has are just that he has too much muscle and that's just putting too much you know, stress on his lower body, and that's leading to some of these issues that he's had. Yeah, uh, I would be heavily focused on, you know, like core strength and and just overall flexibility with him because he's just naturally so freaky already. You know, like his 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 father was, you know, basically an SEC defensive lineman. You know, if he like that's kind of what Zion is. Like he's like to me he's like an sec defensive lineman but you know god gave him a 47 inch vertical and an incredible handle you know he just he really shouldn't exist <laughs> while i've got you uh you and i first got to know each other back when you were covering the nuggets i guess i'm interested in kind of your thoughts on them winning the first title in franchise history with a lot of the same people that were there, whether it's, you know, Nikola Jokic, Jamal Murray, Michael Malone, a lot of the guys that were there when you were still covering the team. What was kind of your reaction and some of your thoughts seeing that happen as somebody who had been close to it in the past before you got to New Orleans? You know, I've I've been such a believer in Jokic's talent and his game, his ability to elevate teammates, but I was always thought 
people will never understand how good this guy is because it's just so hard for a team like the Nuggets to win the title and so many things have to go right. So I guess I was happy that people got to see, oh, Jokic really is this good. Like, people were not just overhyping him. Like, he really is this good. Like, he's a, an incredible teammate. Um, so I was just happy for Jokic, I, th- I think, firstly. And it, it's just been, you know, I so fun to see his journey from, you know, the, the 41st pick in the draft to a guy who's coming off the bench his rookie year to where his second year they started him and Yusuf Nurkic together, and that didn't go well. And Jokic asked to come off the bench because they got off to a poor start. And then it was clear he was better than Nurkic, so he started starting. And then they figured out that second year, okay, we got something. He's in this incredible offensive talent, kind of a sieve defensively. And, you know, him just slowly continuing to develop and get better. And I think the final piece for him was getting in incredible shape. Um, you know, and it was, it was kind of coming off that playoff run where they lost to the, the Trailblazers in, in seven games in the semis. I'll never forget that. What was it? quadruple overtime game in portland where he played like 64 minutes or something (laughs) like that i mean that was that was completely insane and you know it was kind of coming off that run where Jokic was like okay i know i got to get in better shape now yeah this is actually funny because of last season during you know the chauncey billups's first year as head coach some it was early on in the season somebody he was asked before a game against the nuggets about Jokic, and he gave this answer that was like you look at Jokic and you don't think he's in good shape, but he is actually in unbelievable shape because of how much guys are going at him on every possession. Yeah, I, I think he is. I mean, I think part of it is he can just play at his own pace and he doesn't he doesn't need to like expend a lot of energy to just dominate a game. Um, but he definitely has has, you know, got in better shape. I mean, I just can't believe the level he's reached i mean it is it's just insane it was uh probably my favorite part of the playoffs was uh the Jokic bros hoisting malone in the air after they swept the <laughs> lakers like I, I probably got the most pure joy out of any moment uh in that one it's a pretty cool story and just 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 all across the board it's all a lot of like a, lo- a, lo- a lot of guys that you're just happy for, like Jamal Murray having the torn ACL and then coming back from it, you know, Michael Porter with all the injury stuff that he's dealt with, Aaron Gordon, you know, found kind of the spot for himself. And then, you you know, you look at some of the other, like Bruce Brown, who's a guy that I know Portland was looking at last summer as a free agent, along with Gary Payton, who they ended up signing, and that one didn't work out. You think about how maybe that could have gone differently, but it's a lot of, it's a lot of, it's just it's 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 a it's a story it's a story where I think like they win the title I don't think anybody is mad at it like you know how every all the other teams that were like in the mix there are people that hate the Sixers there are people that hate the Celtics there are people that hate the you know the Lakers for or the Warriors or whatever for 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 whatever reason they they do and I think outside of like Sixers fans who are still mad that about like the Jokic MB like MVP stuff I don't think anybody is looking at this Nuggets team and being like, oh, I wish they hadn't won the title. Yeah, and it it really was fascinating to see, you know, Jokic during this run. It kind of exposed a lot of the television media for not really understanding (laughs) exactly how good he was. I think, you know, so like you can tell by the MVP voting, right? I mean, like a lot of MVP voters are reporters. And the, the reporters understood if you look at the MVP voting, you know, giving them two of them. But the television media either didn't get it largely or they just talked about it in bad faith 
but it was hilarious to see Lisa Salter say during the Western Conference Finals, well, I didn't even really know about this guy. I had no clue. I mean, she, she was she was not alone, but I mean, like a, a lot of, I think people, a lot of people were surprised by this just because they get their information from television media. And it's like, they just kind of ignored how good Jokic was. Well, because the networks are only going to put, usually they're only going to put on the Lakers and the Warriors and the Celtics and the Sixers and the Knicks and like a couple of, you know, a handful of these teams. And, you know, it's, and it's not even like, I, I saw one of these, one of these first take clips the other day where Stephen A was talking about Dame and it was like, if you were in a big market, we would be talking about you every day. And my immediate reaction was, you guys kind of do talk about him every day about how he needs to get traded to the Knicks or whatever. But it really, it really is is interesting how, yeah, a team like Denver, where they're totally off the radar nationally, but they've just consistently been, you know, getting better every year. And, you know, now people, now it's like, now there's no excuse for people to not, you know, know what Jokic is and, you know, how, how good he is. I'll bet, I'll bet, I, I don't really like to get too deep into the whole ratings discussion because I don't think that stuff's that interesting. But, like, I'll bet they have more national TV games next year. I'll just say that. Yeah, like I bet they have between thirty-five and forty, like a ton of them. Yeah. Um, uh, look, I'm I'm excited for it, and I think the Nuggets. I'm not predicting a dynasty or anything, but I think they'll be in another finals. I'll just say that in like the next four or five years. Like I think we definitely see them in the finals again. Well, you look at their whole the way their whole team is built. It's not like you know none of the guys. I mean, I know Jamal had that uh, the ACL injury, but he came back and he was fine, and he's still young enough. But it's like. It's not, I don't think, like, there's not anything that was fluky about this run. It's just, you know, you, they, and I said this during the playoffs, they kind of remind me of the first Warriors title team, the pre-KD one, where you have one, like, all-time game-changing generational talent, and then you have the exact right guys around him that all know exactly what they are and what they are not. They do exactly what they're supposed to do. They have a coach that knows how to get the most out of every one of these guys. They have, like... You know they yeah, they have role players that you know know what they're supposed to do like it just it feels like a team that and it's not even like it's like a young core where like they're gonna have to pay all these guys in two years and it's like the thunder where they had you know durant westbrook hard and abaca and they couldn't pay all of them like this just it feels like the mix is like exactly right and it seems like especially like bruce brown is talking about how he's not worried about the money and he wants to come back especially if bruce brown comes back and they just run this back like I don't, and in fact, I've been going through, you know, because, you know, gaming out just all the different scenarios about, uh, about like, you know, what, you know, if Portland does this, if they get Zion or they get Mikhail Bridges, where are they in the West? And I go through all the teams that could be making the, you know, in the playoff mix in the West and, you know, the Warriors are at the end of their run, kind of. The Clippers are kind of at the end of their run. You know, the Lakers, you know, LeBron's old. You don't know how. Like, you just go down the list, and every team just about, you have questions about, like, oh, are they really going to be that good next year? There's some issues. Denver is the only team that I look at and say, I don't really have any questions about Denver. I don't see any reason why they won't just still be this good next year. Yeah, I mean, like, they've got their hierarchy. It's Jokic 1, it's Murray 2, and then goes down from there. I mean, Aaron Gordon is incredible fit next to those two guys like everything you'd want in a power forward next to Jokic I think um look man they're they're in a they're in a really great spot I will uh I will believe Bruce Brown when I see it though I, I'll believe it when I see it I yeah 
<laughs> I mean, look, I'm all I'm all for anybody getting as much money as they can, yeah. especially when you're like Bruce Brown, and you're a role player, and you're not guaranteed like three more, you know, max contracts. If he can I mean, get it's, it, it's crazy the market undervalued him like they did yeah. last year. He's, if he can he's get so a, good. If he can get a bag this summer, I don't begrudge him that at all. But you know, especially now, like he's got a ring, maybe now he wants to go get get the bag and and do whatever. But I mean, you look at you know the way they've drafted Christian Brown. Uh, was you know was good and you know people like Peyton Watson he didn't play much in the playoffs but people of that organization say he's going to be good and they just did that deal with Oklahoma City to get another draft pick so you know so far you know this front office has drafted well and so you know I see no re I see re- I see no reason because the other thing is also Jokic and you know the thing you were talking about about how he like never leaves his feet that means he's not going to have like crazy injury problems because his game is like as not reliant on athleticism as you can get so you're not gonna have to worry about him like going up for some crazy dunk and tearing his acl or something because he just never leaves his feet so as long as he wants to keep playing honestly the one thing that could you know derail this this from being a dynasty is if Jokic wakes up one day and is just like you know what i'm good i want to just go back to serbia and ride horses all the time i'm just kind of done playing basketball like that's the only way that i think this doesn't keep going for the next five years or so yeah, man. Uh, <laughs> he was ready to go back home. Oh, yeah. He was ready to go back home. I thought Nate Jones made a good point on Twitter, too. He's like, you know, when Americans are over in Europe, the first, like, they want to get back on the first thing smoking after the season ends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was like, okay, that's the right way to think about it. Like, Jokic, I mean, I think he definitely likes Denver, but he, he just does not think of America as home. It's not it's, his home. No. Yeah, he, it's where he, he wants, works. <laughs> he wants to go back and ride horses and and do whatever he does that's great christian i really appreciate you coming on with me to talk through all the zion stuff and all the stuff with the pick and and all that well maybe we will do this again in a week and we're actually talking about a zion williamson for scoot henderson trade happening it's gonna be a fun eight days man these these off seasons are never boring down here no are you gonna be in vegas i believe so yeah okay i haven't booked yet all right i'll talk to you soon man All right, Sean, thanks.